Hello, and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast, your source for discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join our host, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, or KP, and Riddle of Lightning, Real or Josh, for today's discussion. If you like what you hear, please remember to show support by giving a like, follow, as well as subscribing to the main I Love Kim Possible A Lot channel on YouTube. Spread the word, and thank you for being part of our community. This episode is appropriate for all ages. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Animation Communication. I'm KP, person who is on the internet sometimes. Um, and joining me as my co-host for this episode is Anthony. Um, say hi, Anthony. Hello, it is me again, Anthony. Yeah, and he's subbing in for Riddle uh, because Riddle's having um, taken a little mental health break, which is always important. So, Anthony... Um, what was your podcast about and what do you do on Team KP TM? So to remind the listeners, I am one of the editors on the team as well as one of the heads. And so the podcast that we did was basically going over stuff that I've learned from being an editor and then to a head on the team and managing different people or rather helping manage different people on the team from all over and working in an online community like this and in a team setting. And so yeah, just it was about my experience of editing and you know doing multiple projects at once and with multiple people, and it's uh, it was a good podcast. I had a lot of fun doing it, and I'm excited to also potentially do some more for the time being. So you know, but yep, uh, Anthony's a good good substitute co-host for now. And then uh, Anthony, what videos have you edited for the main channel um, that you want to plug? I guess. Uh, I really liked She-Ra because it was my first and it got me to watch She-Ra. Actually, uh, most of it. Um, I did Rudolph. I think my Halloween one was uh, the favorite. I watched the last season because that was the project at the time, to be fair. So it was a weird mix of, like, episodes and stuff. But I saw the whole last season. Um, But, yeah, the Halloween one I think is still my favorite that I did. The the, Sorry, not the Halloween, but the Haunted Mansion one that we did. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I did Bruno. I've done a couple Rick and Mortys. So, yeah, looking back, it's, it's done a lot. But all of them have been very fun. Okay, so I'm sure you guys have seen Anthony's work and probably haven't even realized it. So, you know, now you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to go straight to the news. So the news. So we have two stories, two rather big stories. So um, I was going to do three stories, but then I was like, nah, this is is already a lot. So um, I guess we can do the first... The first big story, and you probably know what it is if you've been paying attention to, like, anything, but uh, HBO Max just announced that they're, like, today of this recording, just announced that they are merging with Discovery Plus, and they're canceling a whole bunch of shows, um, including, like, Batgirl, and there was, like, a Scooby-Doo, there was a Scooby-Doo holiday special that, from what I could tell, was pretty much done, and they're not releasing it. So a lot of people are pretty bummed that the the project they spent like three years on plus are just not being released at all ever. So oh my goodness. Um, it's been a complicated time. Yeah, so that's... Anthony, have, have you heard about this? I had only just found out earlier, uh, shortly before we were recording this as well. But yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't realize about the Scooby-Doo one getting canceled. Not that I had heard of it, but I could just imagine what it's like. And I mean, I know that is a common thing, I guess, in these industries where, you know, whether it's an animated series or a movie or even in the video game industry, it happens all the time. Um, but it's still unfortunate, especially with how much work it sounds like went into it. So, yeah, and I'm always um, I'm always fortunate because like 
you know, my main goal is still breaking into the industry. And I'm just kind of going at my own pace because of uh, things that are outside my control, essentially, mostly COVID stuff. Um, but it's really like my, my plan is always to kind of do both, like both YouTube and industry, because like at the very least, like even though YouTube is kind of messier sometimes, especially when we're working with the unpaid model and especially so a lot of people flake, a lot of people overcommit, a lot of people can't get the work done at the end of the day because they, they're not prioritizing it, whatever the case. Um, Anthony, we've probably had like, you know, one person every couple of months just flake because they can't do the thing they said they do, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. <sighs> it happens. But like, you know, it's still, you know, my creative vision and I get to have control, total control over it and I don't have to have an executive just telling me what to do. And I imagine, like, you know, even these really influential people like Lauren Faust or, like, whatever, whoever you want to name, you know, are still getting projects that they worked on axed by studios, axed by someone, like, new executives that are taking over and they decide not to continue on with the project, something like this. Mm -hmm. And it's really just horrible. And I'm just like, well, at least I have YouTube and YouTube can just be mine. And the only thing I have to worry about is content ID and I guess COPA sometimes. <laughs> so now that I mention it, like, do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's when... It seems like it's best to have your own control as much as you can, and I don't know what, in the end, I truly do have control over with myself, but with kind of what you were saying with, like, you know, being able to just do YouTube and post your own videos, it's nice to be able to have that where you can just make your own stuff and not have to worry about it because I also would love to break into the industry in some way or, you know, I'm still figuring out exactly what I want to do, but I think it's just so much stuff that's just out of your control uh, with this industry especially that it gets a little gets a little crazy and it makes you wonder like oh man <laughs> you know just like you never know what's gonna oh, happen man. at the end of the day on oh, geez rook um <laughs> but uh yeah it's just yeah it's not a it's not a fun time and like i really wish they would just release some of these things like hopefully i mean there's hope that they might you know once this merger is done and mm -hmm. content and blah 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 but it's not looking too hot right now, and I, it just it just hurts my heart um, to see all this like you know potential. Like even if you know, I like this the Scooby Doo thing is a sequel to the theatrical Scoob movie that came out like a year or two ago, and like I didn't see it, but like I still empathize with the artists who you know worked on it for so long, and you know it's just it's still hard even if it's something that's not you know up your personal you know mm -hmm. list of things that you want. So, um, anyway, that's no fun. Um, <laughs> so second story, um, well, I thought of this, Anthony, that, um, since you specifically like this thing, I will comment on that I didn't tell you about before. So, oh boy. Um, so have you heard about the rebooting, um, of Powerpuff Girls and Foster? Yes, I did. Oh my goodness. <laughs> now you can talk about it. Yeah. Something I actually know. Hooray. <laughs> Hooray. Yes, yeah, so it is apparently... Well, okay, I haven't done as much research as I probably should on it. So, of course, correct me if I'm oh, wrong. Oh, okay, so um, I will... The, the gist is, so um, we had the 2016 Powerpuff Girls that was not controlled by Craig McCracken mm -hmm. that people generally did not like. Um, and then, so now they're rebooting the Powerpuff Girls. I think they're... I think the Fosters one is going to be in the same continuity, but the Powerpuff Girls one isn't. Uh, because they're going to do more sterilized storytelling, which is great. 
um, my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the Fosters one is going to be a prequel, from my understanding. So right, um, yeah, okay. So um, if if you don't know, um, Anthony sometimes goes to conventions with me, and he really likes Fosters, and he cosplayed as Mac and Mac with is his foam blue pillow. <laughs> like he has a, a little pillow of blue regard cute kazoo that he had and yes you know um i i I just figured this would be a good opportunity to bring it up yes no i'm i was very excited when i found the news out and uh you always again you have to be skeptical with these things but just the fact that it's the original creator is what just gives me hope and um is making me excited for it because you know i'm not like too harsh when it comes to criticizing things but you know even if it ends up being different or not as good it's like i just like that he loves it enough that he wants to do it again and or just whatever the reason i guess is it's just nice that it's the original creator is involved and i do hope that he actually is involved and has you know control in some way because i would hate it if also like they were just like nope just kidding we're, we're doing what we want kind of thing and you're not actually nope just allowed kidding. To... We're gonna have blossom be in love with the, the with the writer or whatever that was about oh gosh i didn't even that one i didn't even watch i did read the live action powerpuff girls script that got leaked that time uh which was hilarious to me and very unfortunate and also just like awful but if you heard about that one i think it was like a year ago but, oh um, yeah, yeah. I think they're still trying to make that too. Which yeah, is- I know. To be fair, yeah. like the script when the script was leaked, they were already reworking it. But like, oh boy, that script was was truly something. Also, do you have a favorite thing that's bad about the script? I th- I'm well. It was a lot of it. Well, okay. Like, there's. I think okay. Funny wise, I'm pretty sure Mojo Jojo was dead. Uh, but like, <laughs> like I <Okay>. think, <laughs> I think it was Mojo Jojo died. Like the Powerful Girls killed him by accident or something like that. And I think that was going to be guilt involved or something. Um, but it was also kind of just weird because they were older and it was a lot of just like, I don't know. It was a little. It just felt a little disrespectful, kind of the things that they were doing. Not that it's anything against what like the culture was about and stuff, but like there was a lot of just like in your face kind of things and. I don't know. It was, it just, it didn't sound very, very good. Um, but mainly just because it's, again, this was like a weird, like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really watch the Rugrats all grown up, but to go from like the little power of girls being like very young to then being older and having all these different themes and stuff in the show was just a little off-putting power and weird. Girls but have boobs. Everything is ruined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, if it was, if it's done well, it's done well then, but just, I think a lot of it felt like I don't like to use the word cringy, but a little, a little bit of cringy dialogue and stuff, you know. But um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm very excited, though, that this is by the original creator. And so and just Foster's coming back. And honestly, it really is the perfect one to do either a prequel for, even if it was just a whole new cast of characters, because I, I think I had heard that originally at first. Um, you know, just the universe of it. I've, I was rewatching the show recently again, and I just think Foster's has the potential <laughs> to just have, again, um has the potential to just have like so much done you know because i mean really when you think of it also there's like not a lot is kind of covered so you can also say the universe makes no sense in some ways um but at the same time there's like so much to explore so i'm curious to see what they will go into you know so yeah very excited from from what you've described because i only watched like a, a little bit of frosters like they can um they can will things from their imagination into being which is weird 
Yeah, I, I think I think my favorite moment real quick about that is that in literally one episode, Max's older brother, Terrence, he's a bully. He's just hungry, and so he, he wanted to imagine a friend to bully Blue, but he's, like, hungry, so he's like, oh, I'll imagine pizza. And the pizza little comes out and is like, hi, I love you, like, I'm your friend. And he just eats the pizza and is, like, satisfied. So I'm like, does it does it actually taste like food? Like, is this something you could do? Can you just imagine? It's like, can they just imagine, like, weapons and stuff? And that's a whole, I'm sure he never will ever touch upon that, but, like, you know, another realm of things but i guess you could technically eat friends that was actually in the first season also so um yeah. yeah what was the joke we made at the convention like behind what was behind the the, the secret door and it was like i don't i don't remember oh i know it was because it, we were talking about i think the secret door episode which was i'm pretty sure the scribble episode is the one we were talking about unless it was a different episode we were referencing but yeah i forget what we had said it was behind it oh my gosh i wish i could remember but it was, it was i think fun, it was like yeah. furry things or something i don't know yeah uh, <laughs> oh anyway okay and the last news is luck is has mixed reviews uh do you know about luck now I'm going back to the I don't know animation and things that I should know about in movies, but uh, so no, I do not know about Luck. So Luck <laughs> is uh, Skydance's first feature. Sky Dance is a studio, and mm-hmm. um, they controversially hired John Lasseter to head the studio. I think, um, or he's in some creative, like high creative control kind of thing. And John Lasseter is pretty sus because you remember all that stuff that happened like a couple years ago where he was fired and yeah i i I do know about inappropriate touching and Mm -hmm. like not 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 heavy sexual abuse like weinstein was but it was still like or commenting on women's bodies when they left rooms or you know Mm -hmm. being a being being kind of creepy and a little sussy so yeah i think the last thing i heard was just that like John was overly friendly to everyone and just, like, touchy with everyone. And so it's, like, it's just a little, like, boundaries. But I don't know the full story with it as well. But I, I did hear about the John Lasseter stuff. That, yeah. yeah, that's the general justice. Like, it wasn't it wasn't just boundaries. It was just, like, you know, um, being crude. Um, and oh, and then that too, I'm sure, yeah. bodies. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're billing this movie as from the creative mind of Toy Story director and Cars director man, essentially. And I'm just like, oh, they shouldn't have just not said anything. Oh. <laughs> like, I get the the asset that Lassiter is and the potential that he could have. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, there's so many other people in the industry that are trying to make it in the industry. And, like, can't you just, can't you just put him out in the pasture and just let him be? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let, let, let John Lasseter become a YouTuber like Butch Hartman. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh God. So um, yeah, it's having reviews. I haven't seen it yet. I think the premise is basically like like Boss Baby where instead of like uh, a secret realm of babies, you know, it's a secret realm of like luck related things like black cats and four leaf clovers and you know that kind of thing so oh okay um, well it sounds no cute. One's su- i don't i mean it sounds cute i'm surprised it's having mixed reviews but you know maybe the story just wasn't there i don't you know i can't speak for that but i just thought it was interesting to discuss how they're marketing this and how you know the past and- i think that is certainly an interesting marketing tactic as well because i guess the general public though i don't know i guess it depends because 
I'm the sure normies, maybe yeah, like, the normies or kids will be like, oh, Toy Story, or like you know, the mom and dad are just bringing out their kid to see a movie is just like, oh, Toy Story, perfect, they, that'll be good then, you know. But then the you know anybody who's informed is kind of like, ooh, wait a minute, Toy Story, you know. So, or not of course Toy um, Story, but like the director. There, there's a re- um, there's a reference. Um, I I like Lindsay Ellis before uh, she retired essentially, um, but there's a reference that she made where um, in a really old video where, you know like entertainment for kids just can be bad and it's like fine like you know who cares if this car seat is bad it's just for my children who cares if this food is bad it's just for my children <laughs> who cares if this media is bad it's just for my children people don't think about it that way because mm-hmm. you know normies or don't think about things intellectually but you know yeah you like but- that yeah, but I, I do think that's interesting to have someone that is kind of controversial to then advertise <laughs> his name and everything. So, but it also shows that Hollywood just keeps keeps the the old the old names, the not the new talent, like you kind of said. Yeah, keep, try to like it. It wants to milk Lassiter for his ideas and mm-hmm. milk for for his clout. You know, I do wish, like, from my understanding, no one confronted him about it, about this behavior before all this stuff happened. And, like, kind of mm. same similar thing as Butch Hartman. Like, if someone just sat him down and, like, said, hey, this is bad. You can just stop doing this or you're not going to, you're going to, you're going to get blacklisted. And, like, you know, are they in a place where they can listen to that? Or is their ego just being like, don't you know who I am? You know, mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You know, I don't think The Rock would be like that. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you know, so, um, you know, that's why I always try to be humble, listen to, you know, people when I'm making content because I don't want to turn into George Lucas. But not that George Lucas <laughs> was bad, but he just, you know. Anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. George Lucas things, he's, um, you know, just people were afraid to offer their creative input because they were intimidated by him, and then the prequels happened, and now it's fine, but, like, back in the day, it wasn't, so. Right. (sighs) Anyway, that's all the news, so a lot of bad things have happened, um, except the the Craig McCracken stuff, that's good, so. But the interview that we're going to get to is really good, and I hope you enjoy it about, you know, being an actor and a voice actor and, and being in the LGBTQ plus community. And it's, it's good. So on to the interview. Yay. So our guest is Zach Barrick. Um, and he seems like a cool guy. Say hi, Zach. Howdy, howdy. So how are you feeling, Zach? I'm all right. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to chat. I love talking about uh, our little animated show. I love just chatting. Uh, so I'm super excited. It just it's really trippy because I've watched the whole thing mm-hmm. and um, you know just because usually uh, when we talk with voice actors um, sometimes they have a range as far as doing a specific voice but it sounds like it's just your normal speaking voice. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean you know he's he's uh, I, I tried to do Barney with like some you know youth to it but uh, more or less we are just very similar so it didn't feel appropriate to do much of a change. Okay, yeah, just I mean I'll. I'll get used to it, but I just, I think that's just a little cool tidbit. Um, do you want to give any background as far as who you are and what you do on in the industry before we get started? Yeah, so I'm um, an actor and comedian. I am fortunate that um, my latest project, Dead End Paranormal Park, just came out on Netflix this summer. Uh, it is a animated horror comedy, comedy about uh, teens navigating uh, demons and ghosts and their love lives. 
uh, and it is a hoot, if I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're biased. Right? <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm completely impartial. And uh, yeah, and I uh, I've also done on film work or on camera work as well as uh, narrative podcast work. And I'm really lucky to be here. So thank you for having me. Um, and of course. I'm super Thanks excited for to chat. <laughs> Um, so I guess the basic question that we always start out with is like, how did you get involved with acting? And because you have a range, you're not just a voice actor and we kind of deal with a little bit of everyone. So how did you get involved with acting? How do you, how did you realize you liked it? You know, that kind of vibe. Yeah. So I came out to LA, uh, to go to USC. I thought I wanted to study gender studies because it's something I've always found really fascinating. I think the history in the United States in particular is a lot more storied than I had known, and I was really, really enjoying that as my focus, but I really wanted to perform. I've always wanted to do that, and I've always wanted that information to be something I was able to use as a performer, as a writer, um, so I knew I wanted to switch into something a little more on that line, so I switched over to music industry thinking, oh, well, I love music. I want to make music. That'll be a good avenue, um, and it's a pretty business-heavy major uh, I found it a little bit slimy, <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, my professors slimy were great. In LA? No way. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, uh, hot take of the century. Um, the music industry is corrupt. Uh, but I, I, as much as I found it fascinating, I was just like, this isn't what I want either. Um, I feel like what I'm doing is consistently picking things that feel less scary than what I actually want to mm-hmm. do. So then I was just like, screw it. Like, I don't, you know, I don't need to make. A massive life change but I'm gonna go out for what I want so I, I thought okay I'll continue to go to school and start auditioning and I met this woman who was a manager for trans people and I was like hey I don't think you have any trans masculine people on your roster shoot me out for anything you see you know and we met sort of through an open call and after that every few months I'd get an email or a call and then one summer you know I was gonna go home and bus tables uh, I had done it the summer before and I was like really really jazzed about getting promoted to be a waiter so I was like I'm actually so excited to go home to Chicago and do that but my mom sort of was like you should do something industry related like try to get an internship so I did um you know just because she I think wanted me to start looking forward to a career and uh I'm really glad I did because I stayed out in LA um I was the worst intern ever but they didn't have to deal with me for long because while I was there um And this woman who I'd been in touch with calls me and goes, hey, there's like a Marvel movie that's casting. You got to go. So I like called work and I was like, hey, this is what's happening. And they were like, yeah, go, obviously. So I went home and I shaved um, and like tried to look like a teen. And I did, I guess. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I, I bet. Like, um, so in case people don't know what he's talking about, um, Zach was in uh, the Spider-Man movie Far From Home and that movie they're shooting in. Europe because they're far from home. You get it. That's the name of the movie. So anyway, um, do you want to talk about a little that experience as far as just kind of for people who aren't familiar with just like location shooting in general or just like any fun stories, you know, feel free to talk about something it, that it was, was just unique in that to, way that, you that I got to learn so much about the industry. It was one of my first times. Uh, it was my first time on a location set. It was definitely one of my first times on a set that big. Uh, and so, I don't know, it was really cool. And I liked exactly what you're talking about. The The most fascinating parts were, you know, wow, so some things you shoot in multiple places. You know, the scene where we're in the hostel is in a set, but the outside of the hostel 
is uh, in Venice, even though it's, you know, so it's interesting because it's like we did all of these different parts in different places. And I was like, oh, this is movie magic, (laughs) you know, And, and it's not magic, but it is because you're seeing all the parts move. And yet I was still like fully like gagged by how it came together like it was so I was like okay work like that's crazy that I was there for all of this and I'm still watching a fresh movie I mean that's just a testament to how many hands touch it before it makes it Mm -hmm. to screen and really only the director and the editors like know what it's gonna look like and everybody else gets like a really (laughs) wonderful surprise you know and 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 so I think that's really beautiful um you know so that was sort of my experience with the like logistical and the emotional component. Oh yeah, and especially too because like you know generally the Marvel movies for those who aren't aware there's a lot of um, special effects going on and stuff like that. So I imagine like the director was describing what was happening, but like was it hard for you to picture like like some of the more nuanced like the the drones and all that stuff while you were doing it, or um, you know just imagination and all that. Imagination. It was interesting because I. I don't know. I have a very vivid imagination. When I'm laying in bed at night, like, I'm one of those people where if I, like, close my eyes, I just see little monsters. Not in, like, a (laughs) hallucination way, but in a, um, like, my brain's default is creating little faces and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. I think I have a very visual um, subconscious. Uh, I also have a pretty loud inner monologue. So I think that kind of um, manifests in just, like, imagining things a lot. And uh, in a positive way. So my dream roles have always been stuff like that. Like the things I've always wanted to do are playing opposite monsters or imaginary things because I'm always thinking about it anyway. Um, you know, one of my kind of inspirations growing up was Guillermo del Toro because he would just draw these like books with the monsters and then make movies about them. But those were sometimes the first things he thought of. And I was always like, work, that's like exactly how my brain works. You know what I mean? And there are times when I have a dream and I'm like, I know I have enough knowledge about how movies work to not just be like, that's a story. That's not like, I'm, I know so many, my like, my dad sometimes will be like, isn't this a good movie idea? And I'll be like, that's not a movie. That's just a thought. You know, <laughs> there's a difference. But I will say I totally understand being influenced and moved by sort of like what our brains can come up with. So I found it really exciting to sit there and go, okay, so there's drones and there's a giant water monster. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um... So that wasn't too difficult. It was more just like the logistics of finding your eye line and making sure you're reacting the right way. Like that's all the stuff that takes some getting used to. Um, but the like concept of it was super exciting for me. And, you know, there was enough exciting stuff going on. You're really not faking it. Like when we're running from the um, bus on Tower Bridge, we did part of it on this blue screen and there is like an explosion that goes on and that part you know there are some practical effects so you're like whoa um or when we're on the bus and it's rocking they moved the bus with like this big stick um so you know you're experiencing that part um and there's a really good mix of like bring it from yourself and then let the environment do some of it because that is just like how life is um you know is that we're always performing a little bit our reactions even if they're not for anybody um so yeah i don't know i found that really fun and interesting and um yeah I don't know that was that was a that was a really cool experience my friends like to joke if you watch carefully on the tower bridge scene my character runs away from the bus but like not far enough and then the bus explodes so my roommates all like to joke that I died in the movie (laughs) (laughs) which is so funny because it's like it's not important to the to the plot but like in theory logistically yeah maybe (laughs) um you know so 
I don't know. It's just a little goofy. You'll, you'll come back as a ghost in the next movie or something. <laughs> I better. I better. Okay, so um, if you want to talk about like the casting for uh, Paranormal Park, because I'm going to use that instead of Dead End and Paranormal Park, because it's, it's a big yeah. title. Anyway, oh, yeah. um, so you know how you got involved with that. Um, Barney also is a trans character, so I was wondering, mm-hmm. like, as far as what your influence in him was, or was that already decided before you know you got there? You know that kind of stuff. Yeah, so um, there's something interesting that kind of uh, occurred to me when I was auditioning. So I knew it was a trans character. Um, and then I did, you know, some light research later on and found that, like, the character being trans was born out of Hamish writing these uh, web comics, realizing that the people who were identifying with Barney were trans people and being like, well, then, yeah, that makes sense. And I found it really beautiful that the art, that I just so often when people read the text a certain way in art, um, creators are like, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> like, famously, Essie Hinton gets really mad when people say The Outsiders is gay. But, like, just a lot of people read the text that way. And and that if you're, you know, willing to understand that authorial intent is really important and also the impact is important, you could just make peace with that and let people read it the way they want to. And you can choose to lean into it or you can choose not to. And I like that Hamish leaned into it. I think that's really bold, and I think it's really unique to him. Um, I've seen it in rare occasions. I've, re- I've been watching Attack on Titan, and you know they made some changes from the manga to the anime, and I do think that comes a little bit from like their fan base having a certain reaction to it. Um, so I actually really highly respect when creators are willing to adapt, especially to make it say something important, mm-hmm. right? Like if the important part of art is to say something and you're realizing the best way you can say something is to make those alterations, then you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, I was really excited about playing him because I was like, oh, this creator kind of gets it. You know, whether he's trans or not, he has his finger on the pulse of what's important to people who are looking for content like this and can make the biggest impact. Um, and, you know, I, I don't necessarily think everything needs to be as overt as the character is, like, out loud trans. Um, but I do think it goes a long way for what we're working towards, which is we don't have to say it out loud for us to not default to assuming they're not trans, right? Like, which is mm-hmm. that if we get to that point, then anybody can play anybody because, in meaning, like, trans people could play cis characters, quote unquote, because if the assumption isn't every person is cisgender, then you know, it becomes more, A, we humanize trans people and, like, reduce violence um, by, like, normalizing the lifestyle, and B, then we really open up narratives because you can read anything based on the casting differently. We did um, Footloose in high school, and uh, we talked about the dynamics of having uh, our Ren and our pastor were both played by black actors, and we talked about how that really changes the dynamic of the play because the person who's coming down really hard on this kid is probably one of the only other people in the town who can relate to him in that way. So I don't know. I find it really, like, I think casting can mean something so important. So I, that was so meaningful to me to, like, talk about the way dynamics shift based on casting and the way that, like, the meaning can change in art in that way. And I think it's really cool to lean into that. So I, the character was trans, um, that really drew me in and because he was so well-written and nuanced and his story wasn't as black and white as like, I'm angsty and sad and got kicked out. It was like, no, I'm choosing to leave because I feel unsafe in this space. Mm -hmm. Um, That felt really cool. Um, Yeah, and I just wanted to touch on your point as far as like authorial intent and stuff like that. Um, I come from a fandom kind of 
culture background. That's like what I talk about on my YouTube channel and stuff like that. And I think it's kind of interesting too, because like, um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you watched Kim Possible back in the day, but like there was yeah, that, like the Kim and Shigo kind of, uh, yes. sub shipping and like, it's not intentional. It was just kind of the actors playing on each other, but like, even, you know, that was something that was still, um, you know, engaging in, like, anything before the, the, the 2000s as far as, like, LGBT, like, it was all interpretational because, you know, of the day and the age and stuff like that. But, like, also, too, um, you know, when people get really involved in these fandoms and these kind of things, like, it almost becomes, like, a religion, like, a big commitment. And to see that they're not, not just, like, character sexualities or, you know, how characters identify, but just, like, even the relationships that haven't been, like, defined in the main text before, you know, like, if the fans have a specific interpretation that gets adapted into the text, then I think it's a really nice way to, to acknowledge them, too, and, like, because they, they care more than, um, you know, like, they've already kind of, like, pulled the, the how, how do I word this, like, um, they figured out as far as uh, how it will work in the text because they're fans. So, you know, just seeing that evolve is just really interesting to me. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's a really great example. I was like a huge kimchi girl. That was, I was so glad you, you brought that up. You came the right like, show. Yes, that is. And I have like in adulthood have so many friends that do that as like couples costumes. And it's like such a testament to the way that it's reverberated into people's lives. And like that so many queer people and particularly queer women like really, really identified with that kind of like tension and like enemies to lovers vibe. Like, especially in like fan fiction, that's such a common trope. And mm-hmm. that I, I think... And we talk about this a lot, um, my friends and I, about, like, you know, straight couples in television shows are always afforded slow burns. You know what I mean? And it's never crazy, like, on The Office, if someone were to ask John Krasinski, will you get together with Pam? Like, nobody would have ever been like, that's a crazy thing to ask. It was so (laughs) clearly being led that way. So why are fans treated like nut jobs? for going, oh, is it headed that way when it's, like, queer? You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. always, like, and and they're always, like, oh, you're just, like, a crazy fan who's, like, reading too much into it and wants something out of it. And it's, like, well, that's what everybody wanted with Jim and Pam. That's what everybody wants all the time. And and whether or not you do it doesn't have to be based on the fans, but it's okay if it is because that's what media does is it reflects the culture and it's not taking anybody out of it to go, well, this is the text we've written. Mm-hmm. So we have to honor that. Like, we shouldn't have written it this way then. You know what I mean, almost, <laughs> is kind of the vibe. And I don't think that... And I think it's, like, really cool when we get to talk about it that way. And, um, you know, I, I I think we're getting better at that. Like, I watch... Um, I don't know if you guys watch what we do in the shadows, but, like, there's been some really clear... There's, like, sort of a, a couple that seems to be leaning in that direction. And I was listening to an interview where someone was finally like, well, that's happening, right? And it was like the first (laughs) time I ever heard someone go, this gay thing is happening because you are definitely alluding to it. But because we never get those slow burns, I think it was like so jarring for me to be like, oh, we're talking about this like gay shit, you know, out loud in an interview. So that was really neat. And I'm really glad we're getting to do that because I don't like feeling crazy for reading the text. You know what I mean? I don't like feeling crazy for acknowledging subtext that they're throwing in my face. Um, you know, so it's it's either it's either well then write with more intention or you know honor the things you're putting out there is kind of my vibe. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know I'm all for whatever. <laughs> I don't have like that stuff, but I just I do think it's like good not to make your fans feel stupid for getting something out of your show. You know, and I think um, also a factor too is like I mean it's obviously getting better with like you know rise of representation, but like even even like shows back then 
you had a lot of boomer cis white guys who aren't really exposed to that kind of culture and are just like, oh, are the fans hypersexualizing this because, you know, they're into that? And it's like, you got to, like, they've had to be, they have to be trained to take that aspect out of it and just be like, no, they just yeah. want the, the characters to be happy and there's chemistry and blah, blah, blah. So I think it's interesting to see how Hollywood is changing and trying to be more representational um, and accommodating, um, especially if people like the older writers, like Kim Possible was written by two cis white guys, like are kind right. of just um, adapting. So anyway, um, and like, I do really like Paranormal Park and I'm sure you get this a lot, but as far as it being very inclusive, but still being a kid's show. And I feel like, I mean, not just a kid's show, but you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. demonize these kind of ideas um, just because they're different and they're not something that people usually see in kids' shows. Um, so how has that experience been like as far as just hearing people talk about it and it being more normalized um, uh, in the show, I guess, in general? Yeah, so we've seen many ends of the spectrum, right? Like, my messages and mentions were flooded with people that it meant a lot to. And so that's the attention I always want to give. Like, I don't want to highlight too much the people that are being, like, hateful about it because they get plenty of, you know, the spotlight and I worry that I'm, like, begetting a problem. But I will say, one of the ones that made me laugh was, like, the One Million Moms campaign that does this, like, Christian (laughs) stuff, like, was like, we need to get a petition to get it taken down. And I'm like, good luck. Like, if Netflix listens to you and none of us, including their, like, creators and the, like, hundreds of trans people that, like, stood outside of their doors, like, in protest, then I will be moved. I mean, like, in a bad way, but I will be, like, genuinely impressed with you. But beyond that, it's, like, so goofy, because it is just, like, it's not a like watching the show there's nothing sexual about it um and it's so warm-hearted and it makes me a little mad that someone could turn it into that because i mean it's we're seeing the like consequences of it in real time with monkeypox right now i saw one of those articles that i was dreading that was like kids are getting it and blah 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 lgbt and i was like oh god no because this is us being turned into like demon sexual beings that like are giving kids stis it's first of all not an sti and second of all like that's not what's happening it's just a very contagious disease and um but this is the problem right like is that like if a television show where there is no sex that takes place is considered too sexy for children like it's because we're queer. Like, you can't point at anything else. Like, and it's just a tactic to get it off the air because it doesn't align with their values. And and that, it almost, the buck isn't, like, doesn't stop there. Like, it's so much bigger than even one million moms, even if there's a million of them. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 the people that, uh, that inform that group that want to split up the public, that want to divide the power up among, like, you know, marginalized groups. Um, they want us to not be united. They want us to not be a uh, united front. So they they do their best to make the make it that people don't want to all work together. And so instead of being angry, I'm trying to work on you know welcome to the fight. Look, I all I want is for you to be happy and 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 to get to live your most authentic self. So please just let me do that. Like all I'm doing is trying to exist. Promise I'm not trying to poison anybody on my honor. Willing to listen to your side of things and have a conversation, but don't you know don't don't let them win. You know, don't 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 let the people who are making the decisions on all of our behalfs win because they're not looking out for you. They don't care about you. Um, and I will say in terms of the positive thing, because I'd love to like end the thought on that. Like, <laughs> people, have been, people have been just so wonderful. Like I have been totally, totally moved by what people have said to me. I've gotten so many trans people who are my age 
saying, I wish I had this as a kid. I've gotten a few young people, you know, relaying that to their parents and their parents talking about it online. And that's really, really cool. Those are the most special ones because I'm like, that feels really authentic. Is like a parent being like, whoa, this mattered to my kid. That's crazy. You know what I mean? Them having the like in real real time reaction of, oh, shoot, this is this doesn't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's true, right? Like, I mean... I don't like saying the sentence out loud. This is the only show where the lead character is trans. I don't. I don't feel proud of it. I'm not happy. I'm the first. Um, I'm depressed that I'm the only one. You know what I mean? And 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 I mean I say that with so much love. Like, but but I think it's a it's been a really moving experience to see how it's helped young people feel seen and people my age because we all get reverted and regressed back to a young person when we are reminded of the ways we were let down. And I think it's really nice to see us get lifted up you know and even if i hadn't been in it i would have been so happy it existed from the bottom of my heart i i i want more of this and i don't i don't need to be part of it you know i don't need to act in it i just want to see it i i yeah i i definitely agree i like i i love when like you know between like these kind of issues or just people finding their homes via fandoms like it just right. makes my heart heart um yeah. happy um and I think that's too a uh, a really good thing about Netflix versus like Disney or Warner Brothers or stuff like that. They don't have to deal with the international distribution problems that like yeah. Disney and stuff have been dealing with. And they're just like, go ahead, be be gay, it's fine, <laughs> you know, or be whatever. Um, yeah. So I think seeing and like because we have these kind of shows and because these are becoming more in the front of the conversation, I think other bigger studios are trying to like adapt and they're slow like you know i think there's like one pixar short about a gay couple or something like that but it's yeah it's definitely better than nothing i guess so you know yeah yeah uh, <laughs> so um do you want to talk about i guess like what was the recording process for this like i wasn't sure like timeline wise if this was during COVID, as far as you recording like at your house or like and then you know uh, your character gets to sing, obviously, because it's a musical. Um, so, like, how has that been? Like, just kind of same thing as the Spider-Man question. Like, favorite parts, you know, what was the experience like? You know, did you get to, also, if you got to work with people um, in person, but again, COVID, so I'm not sure. So, This was the diametric opposite of Spider-Man in the filming experience, because <laughs> I went to Europe and traveled around, like, four cities and was, like, put in different, like, crazy sets. And for this one, it was like, if we can't get the sound to sound good in your house under a blanket, then you're coming to the studio and that's the only place you'll be. And I will say, because it was during, you know, the height of the pandemic, and I will say they took huge, huge care to make sure we were safe. Um, I don't know how many of us actually went into a studio. I know I did. I know Cody recorded from home. I tried to. There's too much reverb in my natural <laughs> echo in my apartment. Uh, the acoustics aren't wonderful. So it was, um, I was kind of glad we landed where we did because it was nice to not worry about the sound on my end. And I got to work with some really cool engineers and get to know the folks at Out Loud and Burbank, uh, which is a really cool little studio out here. And um, yeah, so it, for that was really cool for me because I, I was glad that my first animated show I got to do in a proper studio. Um, I was really happy about that. And because it really taught me the ropes, you know, mm-hmm. of what take doing a take looks like. And, you know, and my favorite part was getting to watch the animatics, sort of the like black and white stripped down versions of the scenes, totally not ready um, and just be like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, this is going to be real. And I would tell my mom every now and then, she, she's like, kind of got like classic Jewish mom syndrome where she'd come <laughs> and be like, 
is this real? And I go, yes, mom, it's real. It's Netflix. And she'd go, I don't know. And what's funny is she might have been onto something because she couldn't have possibly known, but loads of Netflix shows got canned right before ours came out. Um, and we were worried about it, but, uh, but it was real, you know, and it was funny. I got, it was like reassuring to be like, I promise I saw them working on it today. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> and now I know that that doesn't always mean something. Oh yeah. 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 Did. This is, yeah. this is a bit of hot we, mess we were, as far as this week. <laughs> yeah. We were fortunate enough to be, um, you know, to make it and, and, and thank God. Cause I think it would have been really heartbreaking in the same year as getting some of these major specials about you know with with so much anti-trans vitriol in them to like also lose this so i'm i'm personally very grateful um and it was a lot of fun and i think some of my other favorite parts were getting to hear clips of my uh castmates because i didn't really get to work with them that much um and i only really got to know some of them online cody and i have become fast friends and coco who plays pauline and i are waiting for our first hug still you know (laughs) um so i feel very lucky that i worked with some really cool people who are really open-minded and fun and uh just above all talented and some of my favorite times in the studio were getting to hear uh cody as norma doing something that i was reacting to because i'd be like that's getting me fired (laughs) up and you don't always get that with line reads um but for the action sequences especially being like i gotta save cody (laughs) you know what i mean like like it was it was cool so um that was that was kind of the cool part was it was all that thing all of that stuff i talked about uh about spider-man where it's like you're pretending and Mm -hmm. i loved it it was so much like theater because you get to be bigger than you do on camera um but it was still um but it was still grounded in sort of like this like authenticity of we got to make this good you know and we want it to be believable it's you know these kids care a lot about what they do for a living which is stopping demons (laughs) so you know my only other question unless you want to talk about more about the series and like um I guess maybe like we haven't really described it for people who haven't seen it yet beyond it's like a little thriller haunting thing as far as the plot if we want to do that but like also um you know, like, do you have just any general advice for, you know, kids who want to get into this or just people that are trying to break in and that kind of stuff, too? Yeah, so I'll start with, you know, the show is about, fundamentally at its core, about, you know, uh, working through avoidance, working through sort of the larger problems that they're dealing with outside of the moment. And, you know, we see that in different ways, right? Like, Barney runs away from home because he doesn't feel supported. And, and someone could look at that and go, oh, what a brat. You know, his parents, like, at least they, like, call him the right name and pronouns. And it's like, yeah, but his grandma doesn't and says some really, really harmful, hurtful things. And he leaves. And I think there's a really good conversation there because as a teen, we all do stupid things. And he should be allowed to do that. And his response <laughs> to this is very teenager. And you can't really get away with doing that in your adult life. But you know, he does it. And, and there is some parts of him that are right and some parts of him that are wrong. And I find that really fascinating. You know, I think that's a really interesting dynamic in the show is, you know, he's not perfect, but he is ultimately trying to protect himself. But he needs to learn to do that without running away from his problems. And then we have Norma, who's like, hyper fixated on something that brings her so much comfort. And we all have, I mean, I, I have about a million Deadpool comics behind me, and, and I, 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 I've done it with so many different pieces of media throughout my life, you know, um, and, and I just, like, I get it, like, the comfort you find in that, and then being, like, let down by your heroes, and realizing you have to do some work on yourself so that your psyche is not so fragile, that's probably not the right word, but that you're, that you're, 
support system in your foundation is not fragile so that when you lose one thing, you know, it crumbles because we need to learn that our heroes will disappoint us. So there's some complex nuance there that ultimately, like, it's disappointing that our hero is a disappointment. And she's also right to have looked up to someone in a world that feels really foreign to her and really cut off and uncomfortable. Uh, you know, Pugsley learning to be responsible with his power, I think, is such a classic story in genre fiction. You know, it's so what Spider-Man is about. You know, with great power comes great responsibility um, and fighting off our demons, for lack of a better <laughs> metaphor there. Uh, you know, Courtney learning that, like, your goals don't maybe justify always being rotten. You know, you can't get away with detaching from the things you care about just because you have an end goal. Um, and all of the characters have such redeeming parts to them even the really evil ones in my opinion and i like it a lot because you know i think hamish in writing the comic book series reading it i was like this is brilliant like this is turning everything on its head it's so much subversion of of demon genre it's so much about like um tiers of of privilege and and class and like it, it's all about because we get in the comics we get so much out of the different floors and the elevator and like you know and and stuff that gets explored and i just remember reading it and being like i gotta be in this show because if it's you know an ounce as clever as these books then it'll be really genuinely powerful commentary on the victors write the history you know um just like the roles that like one of the things we learn in the show is that like maybe courtney wasn't imprisoned by demons but wasn't imprisoned by angels and what does that mean you know mm. like and and so you know the standard narrative we've always had has been you know queer people being demonized and and turned into the villains and i think the way i like the show is that it's about uh well what if what if the like good people are the demons who are queer you know what i mean like what if what if that's who we're rooting for you know we're not saying okay i guess the demons aren't queer because that's a problem we're saying well maybe we are a little demonic and like crazy but like why is that a bad thing or why does that make us fundamentally evil that we don't want to conform and we don't want to like look at problems of right of wrong right and wrong is black and white but with more complexity so i i think that is a very long-winded version of what the show is about for me and um you know, uh, I think as far as, like, young people getting involved in this, I really want it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love going into an audition and seeing, like, a list of names I've never seen uh, that came in before me because it means that, like, all kinds of talent is going out for things. You know, um, it doesn't happen that often. <laughs> I'm usually going out with the same few um, trans-masculine people. Um, but, and I'd love to go out for other things as well, you know, and I hope the industry moves in that direction where I get to look at other projects outside of just my identity. That being said, um, I think the best way to get into it is to, like, study the craft. Like, I'm just going to speak directly to voice acting because acting acting requires a lot of moving pieces. I will say the best <laughs> thing I did for that was, like, finding someone in the industry, learning as much as I could from them and being like, plug me whenever you can, put me in touch with anybody, I'll take classes, I'll do whatever you think it is that I need to do, you know, without bothering them. <laughs> but finding a way to be persistent without crossing a line is a really good tip, generally. That being said, uh, it can be hard to read a room, so I do hesitate to give too much advice because it's just different. <laughs> I will say with voice acting, there are some direct steps that are really helpful. And I will say studying, I watch so many videos of voice actors working, um, because it was so foreign to me and I had done on camera till that point and I really, really wanted to do animation 
uh, as part of my career and hope I get to continue to do it as well as on-camera acting. But, like, I was like, I got to learn how this works. So I'd watch people, um, and, like, a lot of them look at their characters and go, okay, what do their mouths look like? How would that influence how they talk? What is their age? Like, what is their confidence level? Uh, and then once I've learned what different characters exist, creating a reel that was really, like powerful was going to be my next step and I actually took a little while to do that because I happened <laughs> to get dead end before I needed to do that but uh you know listening to other actors reels and being like okay this is a distinct character I can do and is so different than this one and I'm going to put them next to each other in the reel and find some copy from a tv show I like and do a different take on a character that was already done and record that so that's a really good way to put together a reel and then I'm going to cold call some agencies look online at their submission process see if I can go to an event where like one of the agents is speaking so they can get to know my face um, introduce myself and go hey I would like to submit I just want you to look out for it stuff like that and it doesn't mean you're gonna get it the first time but it is just about like taking a few social risks and that's scary and it sucks <laughs> like I wish that wasn't how it worked I wish it was entirely merit-based um but I think there's a really good combination of being able to make yourself shine and taking some risks and it's made me a much more social person um in a positive way mm -hmm. even though sometimes it didn't always feel very authentic at the start um so I, I I don't know I think it's a curse and a blessing and I wish it was a more accessible job um because there are so many talented people who don't like going to like comic-con and listening to agents talk and wanting to go meet them and stuff like that for example plus comic-con's hella expensive yeah so like there are a lot of accessibility barriers to getting in you know your foot in especially if you don't have a nepotism connection um and i every day i'm like every day i'm like i don't know how i stumbled into this you know without sort of having any family in the industry mm -hmm. um i do know one person uh who i my mom grew up with but like that didn't really end up having, helping my actual <laughs> acting career at all um so, you know, I did genuinely get very lucky, right time, right place, and giving it my all. And I think that's another testament is when you do get an opportunity to give it your all, because um, could be the only one. And uh, it probably isn't. So I don't want to deter anybody who's already been in that situation. <laughs> but just treat everyone like it is, because even though it isn't, it mm -hmm. is, you know. Uh, those, those are my sort of baseline logical tips, but... Uh, there are people who probably have a mess of more. And also classes. Take as many classes as you can. That's one I got to take my own advice on. I really want to learn, like, dialects. I sound super goofy when I do certain accents. They'll be like, can you do... I'll get an audition from my agent, and they'll be like, they're looking for something Eastern European, and I'll be like, I know, Dracula. <laughs> I'll do Dracula, I guess. And it's like, well, you know, study. Because then when you get an opportunity, you're ready. And you, if you're nervous, you fall back on the things you know. Um, and that takes the nerves out. Oh, that that was that was great. I, usually, some people are just like, "Well, you know, just just practice your voices and hope you get lucky." <laughs> but that was more like in depth and also realistic too, because you know, like every everyone wants to be in the industry one way or the other, and it's just about being kind of competitive about it at the end of the right. day too, and just yeah. you know, but also being genuine, which is like a hard balance sometimes. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I think um, those are all my general questions. Um, do you have any like other fun stories or anything you wanted to wrap up with? Or if you're good, that's that's fine too. Yeah, I guess I'll um, I'll just say one fun thing about Dead End that I hope people can appreciate is um, our director said this once. I just bring it up as a funny story because I, I think it also really sums up the show, which is um, she said, uh, I've never directed a show where people get squeezed as much. And I do <laughs> think that there's something really special about being part of a show that has so much heart and fundamentally at the core also 
exists the truth of and it's also just an action show where people get squeezed by monsters a lot you know (laughs) i mean that is just like a fun thing to be part of is i got to do so much action and do so many crazy things in this world because of the wonderful um world of of animation is you get to do all this crazy stuff you don't normally get to do and i also got to have a coming out story and i got to make really good friends in the show and off the show you know so Mm -hmm. Yeah, watch Dead End. There's a lot of people getting squeezed. <laughs> no, on Netflix. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and one more question. Um, is there any, like, I don't know, is season two confirmed yet? Or are you under... Yeah, I figured. Okay. So, yeah. m- maybe. <laughs> um, okay, so where can people um, find you if they want to stalk you appropriately online? Yes. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram uh, as my name. So it's Z-A-C-H-B-A-R-A-C-K, Zach Barrick. Um, I often post about like comedy shows I do there, as well as any projects I have coming up. So it, you know, if you if you want to see what's coming up for me, that's the best place to go. Okay. Um, yeah. So check check Zach out. He's, he's a cool guy. Anyway, um, thanks for coming, Zach. And um, yeah, in general, everyone, thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, we're on all the platforms and YouTube and stuff like that. So I uh, hope you keep on listening. I think we're on like 73 something. We've done a lot. So <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. So have a good day, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. We are really hoping the show makes a difference in how people view animation as well as media as a whole, as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like or want to join the animation and media industry. If you like what you heard, please remember to show support by giving a like, a follow, rating those five stars, as well as subscribing to our main I Love Kim Possible A Lot channel on YouTube and turn your notification on. New episodes of Animation Communication come out every Wednesday at 6 a.m. EST on podcasting platforms and 4 p.m. EST on YouTube. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The KP Podcast for information about upcoming guests, episodes, and more, as well as our hosts, KP and Riddle, at I Love KP A Lot, and at Riddle Lightning on social media. I'm Kat, and thank you for being part of our community. See you next time on Animation Communication.